Hey, this is the Isaiah Name Gaming Podcast. My name is Kevin. I'm Jacob. And today we're talking about who's the Brobnar. Yeah, so this is just the roles the players take and kind of just how to determine when you need to be doing things. And we call it who's the Brobnar because a big part of this is kind of when to fight things, when to, yeah. when to change the board so that you're then favored to win because you're currently not a favorite. Right, and I don't even think it's it's necessarily like this is just about fighting. It's just that fighting versus reaping is one of the choices you make a lot and picking the wrong one I think is going to lead to a lot of uh, losses, uh, whether even if, like, some people are just going to say it's always right to reap because you just make amber, amber is how you win. But then, Incorrect. Yes. <laughs> Anybody that says it's always right to or it's never right to yeah. is wrong. Yeah, always and never are both wrong um yeah just almost across the board i can't think of anything so the big question here is who needs the current game state to change in order to be winning and this is can be rephrased as who's losing right now but it can also just be like this isn't going to work for what i need to happen later even though i might be doing well maybe my plan is going fine something has to change in order for me to finish out plan a Right, and it's all going to come back to knowing how your deck is going to try to end the game. Knowing where you're trying to get the game to go to put you into a spot to win. If that means you need to build on a board, then sometimes that's going to mean you need to clear things on their board that are going to cause issues, like things that are able to kill multiple things at once. You might need to get those off the board, and, and then you can start reaping once you are in control. Um... And this also comes down to, like, specific cards that are good against your deck. So if there's certain cards that kind of put a crimp in your plans, if you if your deck doesn't really function when there's, like, a zookeeper on the board or something mm-hmm. like that, and those are priority targets anyways, but you kind of, once it hits, you kind of have to focus on that until you resolve it and then move on with your original game plan. So one thing is kind of prioritizing targets, I think. If a, if a high-priority... Creatures played, you got to come up with some way to deal with it. And so we have kind of a general list of creatures that we think just probably need to die. Yeah, and so I think most of the time this is going to be the ones that have action steal one. I think these usually are going to lead you to losing the game if you just let them (laughs) take them for free. That's true. Um, Also the cards that provide big turns or out of house turns so i don't remember the name but the like sanctum use a friendly creature um commander Remium. yeah and then there's the mars use a non-mars creature or like mega mount yep so you need to these are big priorities because they're just gonna let your opponents get ahead of you in tempo um so one thing with those cards specifically and we'll get to some other cards later if that's the only house on the board, their ability is not relevant yet. It's going to be, but if you have just Mars cards and it really Mega Mouth, it's just a reap. It doesn't actually do anything right. yet. So once they get a more diverse board, then those cards are significantly better. Right. So, so the one thing you can do is, if the other creature is easier to answer right now, you can just turn their ability off for a little bit and then get to it later, which is not usually going to be the case because they're just three power and you can kill them with a lot of things. Right, and and I think that's part of what makes me want to kill these out-of-house users because 
it doesn't take a lot out of my plan. Like, there's cards that I also want to kill, like, Mother. Uh, Mother is significantly harder to kill, just in that you're not always going to have just a clean attack that it dies. Um, a lot of the kill spells are going to be small damage or... Require the board to be situated right, in a certain way. Which people are probably going to be aware of. They saw your deck list. Um, they're not going to just put their mother in the middle if it's really crucial to their play. Um, trying to think of other cards that are really important to kill. Uh, so like Witch of the Wilds, I think, in Untamed is one you want to get rid of. Yeah. Just because it, it basically lets them play a two-house game. And then just feed an Untamed card into every turn if they want to. Um and that one's a rare. You're not going to see it super often, but it's a good example. Um, well, there's also Witch of the Eye, which is going to lead them to big turns. Yeah. So a lot of these cards, some of them are not the case, but a lot of these cards are not evasive. Right. So these are cards that you want to fight. <laughs> if you have yes. a, if you have a four power thing and they have a three power thing yeah. that is gonna has like a really good ability or right. passive ability or is going to do something damaging to you, just fight it. Yeah. Like, fight it with your charrette. Take your charrette down to one power. Like, you know, let them spend a card to, to kill that later. Right. And get this card off the board. It needs to happen. Yep. Uh, yes, these, I think, are the cards that really matter to kill. And then, kind of just as a side note here, uh, and this is a reaction to kind of what we see, <laughs> one card that is not a must-kill that people are overreacting to is Time Traveler. Let them use the action. It yeah. doesn't matter. They it's just, should, it's fine. They probably shouldn't be using the action. I think right, the they should reap bad. with it. Unless you, unless you have a yeah. help of future self in hand. But even, like, the only time that you should focus on time travel, I think, is if you have something that's going to purge it, and there's not something you really need to purge more. Right. <laughs> like, I will kill a hunting witch over time traveler 100% of the time, yep. and I will purge it. I am happy about that. Or Same a, with Ember Imp. Or Same a, with, like, a succubus. John Smith. John Smith, yeah. Zookeeper. Right, and basically everything else that's two power. You'll if I, yeah, if I have like a, a bolter on the board, you get a little bolter, deal two, and purge the thing if it dies. Yeah. I'm killing all those other two power things yeah. over him. It just it does it, it's already done its damage. It drew two cards. You move on. Um, so another thing that I kind of want to bring up with board control is if your opponent has many creatures in the same house, you probably need to take some of them out. You can't leave. And I think the threshold here for me is like three or more. Mm -hmm. Something probably needs to go, or you need to have a better board setup than they do. So you're like kind of winning the race. I will say though that sometimes when your opponent has like the game has gone long, things have gone off the rails a bit. Maybe they have you know three two two creatures in three different houses. I'll then focus on getting one out of each to make sure they never have a they have no options in a big turn no matter what, they're taking a smaller turn than they were before. Right. Uh, even if they have 3-3, three, three, I would much sooner kill 1-1 one one than 2-1. and one. Yes. Um, unless you have a reason to believe that they, they really want to take one of the houses, then maybe you try to clear that one out first. Um, like, if they just haven't taken a, you know, Logos turn, they got three Logos creatures out, you can maybe guess that's what's coming. Yeah. Um, and... And different things affect that also. If, if like, all of their disc creatures just reap and have no special abilities and all of their Logos creatures, like, draw cards and stuff, mm-hmm. you might kill two of the Logos ones because it just leads to a bigger turn. Right. Um, this is just about evaluating the value of those creatures. But just baseline, the multiple creatures from the same house is a bad thing for you. Right. Um, and it's, it's also kind of what you want to set up for your opponent to deal with. 
So if my opponent has 3-2-2 and I have 4-4-4, four, 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 I'm pretty happy with that board save. I'll kill things if I need to, but I'm just trying to pick the best house to get the biggest turn, and they're in the position of trying to stop me from doing that, because my turns are better than theirs. Right, and another thing to consider with uh, roles in regard to fighting is if you are picking out, picking off things with, say you have bigger creatures, and you're picking off a small thing that didn't wasn't like a crucial kill, keep in mind that it made it easier for them to attack you back and kick your big thing off the board. So it might it might be better to leave their things and reap and make them spend more cards to answer your board if you are ahead at the time. So this is, again, a roll-deciding thing. Um, and another thing with fighting is if you have creatures that have fight abilities, it becomes profitable for you to do this thing instead of being like a headhunter. You want to kill the little things... Because he also, he essentially reaps while he's fighting. Um, and the same goes for other creatures with fight abilities. Anything that, like, Zorg, if you have a Zorg on the board, mm-hmm. and you actually get to fight with him. I've never, I don't think I've ever seen a Zorg fight. <laughs> he's just, like, cousin stunned, and he's really hard to deal with. Yeah. But if you can fight with a Zorg, it's really good. Right. It, like, stuns everything. Yeah, and there's also, like, the, you know, Umbra and Quixo. Always fight with them. Um, yeah. Always fight with them. anything with skirmish. Basically, yeah. I think you're just fighting. Right. Even if it doesn't gain you amber, right. it's free damage on things. You can yeah. usually kill something with it, or if not, you can make like a removal spell in your hand better. Or you know, it's just good. Well, there's like so. Uh, is it Snuffle Gator is also one that. I, there's there's plenty of times I don't fight with that because it's it's doing it has fight. no fight ability. It's just doing it's just. I, I'll say I t- I'm tending to play decks that want to have a dominating board, and sure. so skirmish creatures just do that. Like they're part of that plan. Okay. Yeah. So I just fight. If I have a snuffleator and something that can kill, I'm gonna. That's what he wants to do, and I'm not gonna take that away from him. Sure. The, the, I mean, yeah. And this is, and again, it's about determining your role in that specific game. Uh, that's really what this is all about. Is one. So step one, know your game plan. Step two determine your opponent's game plan. Uh, hopefully you can do this on the deck list. It's not always that easy because there's also quite a bit of variance in the draws. So mm-hmm. you're not always going to get there. And then step three is just turn by turn. You know, do I need things to change? Is now the time to like make Amber and go for a kill or is it time to slow my opponent down? So this, this leads into our next big topic, which is, which is like the tempo of the game and Keyforge a lot of the time is very much a tempo game. Yeah. If you gain the lead and you can keep it, you're going to win. Right. And, and when when you say the lead, we don't mean they have a key over you. We mean board control ongoing. of the game. Yeah. Velocity of the game. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I like that. So one of the things that helps you do this, and and because the game is about kind of getting to certain checkpoints. Um, one of the things that helps you do this is cards that affect the timing of the game. This is cards like Miasma that says, you are about to forge a key, wait one more turn to do right. that. Like, that's a big deal, yes, waiting one more turn. Um, it sets up all kinds of other interactions that you might have in your deck, but one of the biggest things is it says, slow down, mm-hmm. I'm going to keep playing my game. Right. Um, and the same thing goes for, like, key cheats. So, key charges, key abduction, Chorahazri, these all say, I'm forging a key when you didn't think I could. Or right. you did you were, it didn't look like I was going to, and right. it's like a surprise key. Right. It came out of nowhere. Yeah, it's it's the opposite of my asthma. It's it's 
Instead of slowing you down, I'm going to speed myself up. And of note, they get around my asthma. Because it just right. skips you. And it also gets around all the stealing and capture that they might be ready to do on their next turn. Yep. Um, and then the last thing of this timing is any cards that make your opponent's keys more expensive. We've talked about these before. They're yeah. very good cards. Yeah, they're just all in general. Um, and like ones that you don't have to do anything for. This is like the Mermooks, the Grabber Jammer, uh, Grabber Jammer, Jammer Pack, and then like Iron Obelisk to some extent. If you're fighting yeah. a bunch of things, Iron Obelisk. I've never seen Iron Obelisk be good. Um, I've seen it work. I've seen it do what it says on the card. <laughs> sure. I've, I, yeah, I've seen it do that. I've also seen it completely forgotten about in a live game yeah. several times. It is an easy card to forget. Yes. Um, it, it's, it, it could be really good. Sure. It takes yeah. a lot to make it really Yeah, good. the dream is there. Yeah. Uh, you Your keys cost five more and it's only one card. Right. So it has possibility. Yeah. So then, uh, kind of next in like tempo of the game is uh, just like the swings. So these are gonna be like the board wipes, uh, gateway to dis, um, cowards, and things that sometimes save the pack. Yeah. Yeah. Cowards and save the pack are you know they're basically opposites. I think I would call ammonia clouds a board wipe because yeah, it's, it's close especially enough. for the creatures we were talking about that are problems. It kills all. Yeah, I think time. it kills everything you care about in most games, um, except for mother, obviously. Right, mother's a, mother's a beating. Yeah, um, and that's and that's not about my personal life. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So in, okay. So sorry. This the board wipes, but then there's also like you know the bait and switch and the big steals. You know everyone knows these. Uh, you got. What, doorstep to heaven, uh, which actually doesn't steal. It just it's yeah, just a but loss. big losses. It's a big loss. Um, burn the stockpile. Burn stockpile. Um, the one and my favorite card. Oh, yes. Hypnotic command. Right, hypnotic command, <laughs> which no one is playing except you. It's so good. But yeah, it, it takes a little more commitment. But all of a sudden, your opponent's just gonna look at five of their own amber on their own creature and just go, hmm. All right. Pretty standard. It's like a like when I play it, it's basically a bait and switch. Mm -hmm. But I don't need them to be higher than me. I don't like the the only board set I need is I've played a bunch of Mars right. creatures, and either they haven't died or I just built them up this turn. Right. Um, the card's insane. It's a rare. Check your deck, see if you have it, and if you have a bunch of Mars creatures, it's very good. Well, that, and just on Hypnotic Command versus bait and switch, there's also like if you can play three creatures out and then activate it, you know, it takes three from them. Bait and switch. Doesn't usually get three. Three is a big take from bait and switch. Yeah, I think a lot of times bait and switch is used as like a routine job because your opponent's about to forge a key and you need to do something. Right, and uh, and we talked about this pre-recording how you find that bait and switch usually takes you from winning to parity, rarely from winning to losing. Yeah, um, which I think is true. And it, maybe if you're at parity, you could go to losing, but it the also that, doesn't that, do as much when you're at parity. Yeah, the thing that takes you from from winning to losing or from parity to losing is all the follow-up cards. Right. So Bane Switch like levels the field and then they play urchins and mm -hmm. they, you know, play relentless whispers a bunch right. of times or whatever, nerve blasts and stuff. Um so the bait and switch if you're playing around it, it's usually fine. The follow-up cards do some damage, but um, I'll tell you, Hypnotic Command will get you back in that game. <laughs> um, so the last part of Tempo is, we're going to call it House Management, 
and this is kind of how many cards you're playing a turn, um, and and that comes down to what house you choose, and to some extent how many cards you're discarding, how quickly you go through your deck. But are you playing for really big turns, or are you trying to maintain like a trajectory that you've already set up? So if I have a good board of discards and no discards in my hand, or one or two discards in my hand, I might still choose that house, play the board, and just not play any cards in my hand. Like if, yeah. if you're doing that, it means you think you're winning the game and right. you don't need to change anything, and you're saying to your opponent, you have to answer what I have right now, or I'm going to keep doing this, and you're going to lose. And this is with like toxins in play and pit demons, and like your board does really cool things. So I... I find that I feel like I'm winning the most whenever I get to take a card. If I'm taking a turn where I played no cards out of hand because my hand is full of other, like another house. Mm -hmm. If I have a hand that's like four two, and I take the hand, the house that I have zero of in hand, I've probably won that game. Yeah, like the moment I make that choice and I'm not an idiot, it's just like <laughs> this game is over. Like because now it means I have a good enough on board turn that I'm getting further ahead, and then if you answer it, I have a good follow-up. Yeah. But, I've had that yeah. uh, happen, especially when I've been archiving cards. Um, so I'm archiving cards that are not the house that I'm playing. Mm -hmm. I'm archiving my cards that are probably not the house that I'm playing to play next. They're the house that I'm playing to play third. It's like my backup, and I'm building up kind of like a big swing turn. Um, and a lot of times it's, in the deck that does it the most, it's like my untamed cards because I have, like, three full moons. I'm trying to, like, pack those away, mm -hmm. build my hand up to profit off of them, and in the meantime, I'm using my other two houses to build a board, manage everything, keep things going. And if I get to the point where those are set up well enough that I can just take them and keep taking them, then I know that even if my opponent answers that, I pull up my archives, I gain 15 amber mm -hmm. in one turn, and mm -hmm. then, surprise, I'm still back to winning. Right, and I actually had a situation at the last paper Archon event we played in. And so I won the game taking turns, multiple turns in a row where I had no cards in hand to play. And I ended the game with like library access, phase shift, and four other logos cards. This isn't a combo <laughs> deck. It's just a like a nor like a traditional deck. But I just like and this is my hand and I just feel so safe for several turns. And I win without ever having to touched the logos and i didn't you know i didn't say anything to my opponent about this because like still not gonna do that these. but i did keep that <laughs> hand aside and come over and show you because like look at my hand at the end of this game that was uh that was the first archon event that i actually did relatively well in because i played a deck that i liked a lot and i was in this kind of situation several times i think you would i would always win slower because mm -hmm. My deck was doing a lot of things on every turn, yeah. and you would come over and see that I had like every time I had like eight or nine creatures yeah. out, and like six of them were Mars, and there just nobody was doing anything about yeah. any of these, and it was like I don't have to play any cards. I, I you know, I saw some cards. moments where I would describe them as not correctly identifying the role, because <laughs> uh, there was times where I would see things that they needed to kill, and instead they elected to make Amber, yeah, and. I think they lost directly as a result. Yep. Um, so, and, I, and I, I think I saw this in two different games. Just I'd, I'd walk over and take a glance and, you know, your opponent would take their turn and not affect your board. And then you would just continue going off and 
it's just the best thing you can hope for. Yeah, and that's just what the deck does. It, right. It, it, like, puts people off balance. Right. I mean, it is like, what is it? Mars Sanctum. Is it Mars Sanctum Brodner? Yep. Three best houses. Yeah, three best houses <laughs> in the game. You heard it here first. <laughs> um, that one... That one doesn't have a lot of archiving in it. But I have another deck, and I just want to touch on this as like a house management thing. If if you're able to take a house and it lets you... So this basically happens with like Library of the Damned or um, Ganymede Archivist. If you have cards on board that let you archive things, you're also drawing more cards. And so it's like even if you play zero cards, mm -hmm. you're still gaining cards for like the build-up, the follow-up turn. So those... If you have a house that's set up well and also has archive things, mm -hmm. then it's even better. Yeah, I, I, saw, I saw a list the other day that was had three stashes and hidden stash, and I was like, I want that deck. Yes, um, that might sounds, be the best shadows card. Yeah, yeah, I think it's. I would gladly have hidden stash over bait and switch in every yeah. shadows deck, and then multiples is just it's just nuts. Yeah, um, and like archiving, it kind of is like a it's almost like an anti tempo because you. Like, I think the actions that do it, I think both of them create an amber, which yeah. is fine. It's, like, you know, good, okay, I got an amber. And the creatures that do it, you're reaping, and the artifacts that do it are hard to kill. So, like, it's... Right. You're not, like, losing a lot by doing it, but you're right. also not doing anything more impactful. Right, you're not directly impacting the board, which is, you know, like, tempo in a traditional sense means that you need to be impacting on all of your actions. Taking that time off is kind of the opposite of what you want to be doing. But what you're doing is you're you're electing to not do the tempo game and focus on large turns, which I think is, it's kind of, the axis is tempo versus big turns. Yeah, and I think um, a lot of times those archive cards are just kind of included in a, a turn you would otherwise take, but there's also some value to saying, uh, I'm going to take this Shadow's turn, mm -hmm. reap with my one thing, or steal with my one thing, archive this one card because... I think it's going to be better two turns from now, three turns from now, when I pull that card back and I have four, five, six cards from that house to play because it made like more room, increased my hand size. I will say, I think uh, Lab Work and Hens Dash are both my absolute favorite turn one card now. It's insane, yeah. Because especially like if you're on the play and you just have, you know, you only need to play a single card and you're just like, all right, well, Hens Dash, you drop down to five cards, which means you draw the card that you wouldn't normally draw, and you have an extra seventh card again later, yeah. and you gain an amber. I, I love it. The only downside to those is when your opponent has ghostly hand or multiple ghostly hand. Yeah. Then I I don't know if I no, even I, play I think, those. I think you avoid it in that case. Ghostly hand is easy to play around in most cases. Um, so frustrating. And it's it's just such a beating when they just second ghostly hand the game. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the fact that he makes two amber on its own, just the narrative. It's nuts. The card's very yeah, good. Yeah, the their floor is really high. Yeah. Um, and the ceiling is pretty good. Um, so, recap. If you think you are losing. Right. Or if your opponent has played a card that you must answer. Um, because it's going to have a, too big of an impact on the game. And you have creatures that can fight. Figure out if they can fight profitably. Mm -hmm. If they just, if you just need to trade things, sometimes that's fine. Um, if you have Brobnar creatures, they probably want to fight a <laughs> decent amount of the time. Yeah, and obviously, if your deck is full of fight triggers, then you know you actually get value out of it. Like yeah. um, 
the you know fight steal one fight they lose one stuff like that quick thing on fighting fight triggers especially mars fight triggers a lot of those creatures are like two and three power yep they're really good at fighting elusive creatures yes (laughs) it's something that and i don't usually fight elusive creatures Mm -hmm. um a lot of times you try and use something else to get rid of them because it just takes too much right too many actions but if I have a fight trigger on a small creature, I will fight an elusive creature, even if I'm not following it up with something else. Yeah, I think sometimes just to get that. Fight is trigger. it John Smith is one of the fight reaps? John Smith is one. John Smith really likes attacking like Umbras. Yep, just loves it first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Um, yeah, I think that's all we got for you this week. Um, we will have one more show before we head out to. The Vault Tour and at Adepticon in Schaumburg, Schaumburg, Illinois. Um, Here we go. The very fancy city that is not Chicago and should yeah. not be referred to as Chicago. No. <laughs> it's a survival tournament, and I'm still picking out decks. Yeah, I'm gonna pick them tonight and only play those three decks. Right, because you've been losing with all your other decks. Yeah, all my I've you been feel- trying new decks, and it makes me feel bad. Yeah, this is the mental game. So, yeah, maybe we'll. Maybe we should discuss that format deeply on the sure. Wednesday. Um, or Without the, giving away our secret deck list. Right. Or maybe we just do. Maybe we do. Maybe we yes. just reveal them because and no one listens. You you're not going to know. Yeah, you're not going <laughs> to know what deck I'm on until we sit down. Um, yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, go ahead and give me a follow on Twitter if you'd like. I'm at at Jake Bellerin, J-A-K-E-B-E-L-E-R-E-N. Um, and shoot me questions or photos of your decks because I like looking at them. I don't, and I'm not gonna, I don't have the Twitters. Yeah, you don't have the Twitters. So that's fine. <laughs> okay, bye.